Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. He don't ever get rattled, he just goes till the sun goes down. Good afternoon and welcome to Food Chat. This is Chef Jackson Lamb along with Greg Bloom. Good afternoon, Greg. Hey, good to see you, Chef. Greg, we have quite the show lined up today, don't we? We do. We have a great guest. I'm so excited to talk to Nina. And tell us a little bit about Nina before she gets here. Yeah, well, <laughs> Nina Teichschultz wrote a book that I believe was a bestseller. It was... Uh, it's called The Big Fat Surprise. And what is The Big Fat Surprise? Well, it's why uh, saturated fats were demonized. Um, gosh, during my whole upbringing, and even today, you go to the doctor and they tell you, oh, you need to cut back on your meat and your dairy and your cheese. Actually, the subtitle of her book is Why Butter, Meat, and Cheese Belong in a Healthy Diet. So we're going to uh, talk to Nina about why she wrote this book and uh, where, she, uh, where she got the idea from. Greg, we've been hearing those warnings for years. We have, and still today we hear them. And still today, but um, I had uh, read Nina's overview. I can't wait to have her unravel all this. Yeah, me too, me too. And, uh, you know, uh, I've read this book twice. It's actually a nutritional thriller. You know, a lot of times these books that are um, years and years of research compiled can be kind of dry and boring. But this book is not that way. This book's actually like a nutritional thriller. And I would encourage people, if they've never picked up this book or heard of this book, The Big Fat Surprise, Why Butter, Meat, and Cheese Belong in a Healthy Diet. Um, you know, I asked my doctor. He told me when I go in for my annual checkup, he always tells me, uh, based on a survey I fill out about how, how I eat, a self-reported survey about you know what I'm eating during the week and I eat meat a lot I eat a lot of meat late a lot of cheese we talked about cheese last week sure and he, he tells me every time you need to cut back on your cheese and your meat and I ask him why am I cholesterol is not high I'm not diabetic I'm very healthy I'm very lean for you know a 55 year old person so I, why, why do I need to cut back he said well but it's all about cholesterol I said I don't have a high cholesterol but he just thinks I need to cut back to be healthier and I asked him why do you think that? And he said, that's what I learned in school. But he went to school, you know, 30 years ago. I agree. You know, having read the uh, overview from Nina, she's going to unravel a couple of mysteries out there. And it's pretty interesting how research gets conducted. It does. And, and how some, <laughs> some, some facts are just hidden, aren't they? Nina, I see you're on the show with us now. Welcome to Food Chat. Hi, so good to be here with you all. I'm here with Chef Jackson Lamb, professor at Metropolitan State University in Denver. And you know me, Nina, and I'm so glad you could call in and talk to us. So um, we have some questions for you, Nina. We're going to jump right into the heart of our time with you because we don't have that much time today, and you have a lot to say. So would you tell our audience that has never heard of your book just a little bit about why you wrote this book and what, were the, what was the premise of your book and what are the conclusions that you, you, you drew from writing this book and doing all that research? Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, hearing your story, um, Greg, it's just a little, my, the origin of my book really is a little bit like yours, where I was writing a, uh, a, a newspaper a review of restaurants in New York City, and I had been a vegetarian for 20, 20 years or more. 
And I was going to all these restaurants. We couldn't afford to pay for the meals. And uh, so the chefs would just send out whatever they thought was their best food. And I was presented with all this red meat, creamy sauces, all these things that I hadn't eaten or had avoided for a very long time. And uh, they were delicious, surprising, earthy, textured foods. But I thought I was killing myself. So I went to my doctor and he said, look, your cholesterol looks better than ever. And I had just sort of effortlessly lost weight uh, eating this type of food. And so that really created this kind of paradox in my mind. How can I be eating all these things that I thought were healthy? I mean, sorry, were bad for me. And uh, and yet I look healthier than ever. So that and also some assignments from a magazine editor. I mean, I'm a journalist. So um, that compelled me to really take a deep dive into this question of dietary fat. I mean, why do we believe that fat, and especially saturated fat, which is why we avoid meat and cheese, why do we believe they're bad for health? This led me to almost a decade of research in uh, for my book, The Big Fat Surprise, and it was just astonishing what I found. Um, for one, I found that although I had always viewed scientists, I'm the daughter of an engineer, I'd always thought science was this cool, measured process of, you know, idea, counter-idea, hypothesis, counter-hypothesis. I found people who were just terrified to talk to me, who would hang up the phone on me. I felt sometimes like I was investigating the mob because there was clearly so much politics in this field and so much money from food companies and pharmaceutical companies. I found studies about a billion dollars worth of studies funded by the National Institutes of Health that had been sort of covered up or forgotten or, you know, they call them silent studies, studies that are never published. But it really goes back to this, um, you know, where does this idea that saturated fat is bad for health comes from the 1950s when the nation was in a panic about the rising tide of heart disease and there was uh, one researcher named Ansel Keys from the University of Minnesota who came in and, and it, his idea was that it was saturated fat and cholesterol. And the whole nation was completely focused on this question because President Eisenhower in 1955 had had a heart attack and was out of the Oval Office for 10 days. So there was a kind of panic about this question of heart disease. And Ansel Keys stepped into this void where nobody really knew the answer. And his idea, his hypothesis sort of carried the day. And starting in 1961, the American Heart Association and the first ever official advice anywhere in the world told Americans to cut back on saturated fat and cholesterol to avoid a heart attack. That was really the beginning of it all. Right. You know, it seems like we've known this forever, but it really, you know, it's been... Um, it's been 60 years that we've lived with this idea. That idea has been tested in large clinical trials, like the best sort of evidence experiments on this. And they just have, they were never able to show, they were never able to prove that Ansel Keys' idea was correct. And the question is, why don't we know this? And that's because those studies, you know, really, I was one of the first people to unearth those studies, to stitch them together into a story, to bring the attention to the re to researchers. And, you know, my conclusion, and the conclusions now of many other scientists, is that saturated fats do not cause heart disease, have no effect on heart disease, and replacing them with polyunsaturated vegetable oils does not improve your chances of avoiding a heart attack or death from cardiovascular disease.
Nina, I'm uh, reflecting on life in the 50s. Yes, I'm that old. But, you know, also in the 1950s, early 60s, the amount of smoking people did was unbelievable. Oh, but that has no connection to heart disease or or any of the other related uh, problems that we have in our health. So I love the fact that that you're just a little bit of a detective when it came to peeling back a couple of layers on this issue. It, it is detective work, really. It, it, it takes the skills of an investigative journalist to understand, well, what are the vested interests here and, and where is the money coming from? You know, nutrition, nutrition journalists generally don't behave like other journalists where they ask the question, follow the money. You know, where is the money coming from? And it turns out that there was a massive amount of money flowing into the American Heart Association from vegetable oil companies who wanted people consuming their products. How did they do that? They do that by demonizing saturated fats. And of course, you're right, there are other explanations about what causes heart disease, but we've been so focused on this one explanation that others have really been sidelined. Why we have not made so much progress on heart disease, other than, you know, I agree with you, smoking, the campaign against smoking has probably made a difference. Nina, so since you uh, published your book and you've been speaking on this topic and doing more research, and I see you're very active uh, in the nutrition world, tell us what's going on. Have we turned the corner on this uh, idea that uh, saturated fats are bad for you? So there's a lot going on right now. There's a White House conference on hunger, nutrition, and health coming up. There's this new uh, study by Tufts University. Why don't you talk about that? There's a new uh, study that came out by Tufts showing that meat consumption increases the risk of heart disease. So that was a study that came out uh, last year. Oh, sorry, this one just came out just recently, and it showed that it claimed to show that red meat causes heart disease via a mechanism, this metabolite in our gut called trimethylamine N oxide. Let's just call it TMAO. And um, and so there's really a couple of big things wrong with this study. One is um, you know. Does TMAO cause heart disease? I mean, what is this metabolite and why are we focusing on it? So I looked into that. I mean, it turns out there's really all the studies that they cite are from mice, not from humans. The data on humans is iffy and very tenuous. So, um, you know, why focus on TMAO? And it turns out that if you look into the history of the research on this, it goes back to 2011 and since 2015, uh, this research at the Cleveland Clinic, they've been in a major partnership with Procter & Gamble. And Procter & Gamble, they, with Cleveland Clinic, is developing tests and devices and drugs targeted at TMAO. So they have every incentive to find something wrong with TMAO, um, even though, the as I said, the data on humans is just not very robust. Um, and, you know, it ter- it's also, you know, another bit of detective work, if you go back and look at the studies on TMAO, what causes TMAO in to be excreted from uh, in in the urine of humans, and, and therefore that's what this, this study was measuring? Fish, not meat. Wow. It turns out that halibut, if you eat halibut, that, has 100, that yields 100 times more TMAO than red meat. And cod, 65 times more. And also what causes more TMAO are carrots, cauliflower, peas, peanuts, and potatoes, more than beef. So, you know, why this focus on meat uh, causing TMAO when these other foods cause more, 
And again, it's a story of, you know, one of the authors has received um, a tremendous amount of money from the food industry, from interests that are not, uh, you know, that are, they win, let's just say, like Barilla Pasta, they win if people are shunning meat and turning to pasta. So that's just one conflict of interest. But it's really hard to understand nutrition studies without understanding kind of the, the background of vested interests behind them. Another um, topic in the news lately, uh, other than this Teft study, which you just addressed, thank you, um, is this new thing that I didn't even know about until about two weeks ago, Nina, this Food Compass, uh, I think was published in the Natural Food in 2021, and I can't pronounce the author's name very well, so I won't even try, but uh, t tell us about this Food Compass. I saw something on social media, a chart that uh, was, I think you posted, and many other people posted it too, but it's just showing that recommended foods and, and foods that you should avoid. And to be encouraged, you know, you've got up there frosted mini wheats and, uh, uh, you know, some good things, but honey nut Cheerios and frosted mini wheats are in the uh, recommended. And then down at the bottom, to be discouraged or to be minimized in your diet, at the bottom, at the rock bottom, the last one on the list is ground beef. So would you tell us about that, that uh, food compass? Well, that is such an astonishing study that, I think, you know, I posted that on social media and people, honestly, they thought it was satire. It, it was, it's a food, it's a nutrient profiling system called the Food Compass. It's, it's a, a food rating system. And it was developed at Tufts University, again, and by uh, the lead author is Darush Mozafarian. And it's important to know his name because he's one of the most powerful nutrition scientists and leaders in the country. Oh, and He's the leading scientist on the White House Conference on Nutrition, Hunger, uh, and Health, and um, which is happening next month in Washington D.C. And so, what? How could he come out with this chart showing that you know frosted mini wheats, Lucky Charms, are better better than a whole egg? You know, frosted mini wheat scores 86 points. Cheddar cheese, a natural food without any sugar in it, uh, has 28 points. I mean, chocolate-covered almonds score in the green zone. And in the red zone, as you said, is ground beef, a whole egg fried in butter. Ice cream cone with nuts scores higher than an egg. So it's really kind of an astonishing publication. Um, and, you know, we could go through, like, you know, some of the assumptions that they made. They assumed that uh, they gave a very low importance to protein, complete proteins that come from animal foods. They penalized animal foods. It was built into their model that to, to downgrade them uh, because of their saturated fat and cholesterol content, even though those, uh, those nutrients don't cause heart disease, as we talked about. And so the highest score that meat could get in this system was, um, according to one calculation, only 73 points, but it ended up scoring 26 points when everything was taken out of it. I mean, it's, in a, it's sort of like a valentine to big food. Um, and these were cereals, you know, altogether like 70 cereals from Kellogg's and Post that were named by brand name. So, I mean, it, it reflects clearly the interest of kind of the big multinational food companies. And it's very, you know, it's very disturbing when we think about this being the views of the leadership in nutrition science. I mean, it's clearly not in the interest of the public health. Nina, you um, you mention uh, General Mills, Kellogg's, and uh, 
uh, and Post and the serials there. Um, in your paper, you also mentioned the Gates Foundation. Could you uh, shed a little light on what the Gates Foundation is doing? Well, um, Dr. Mozaffarian from Tufts receives money from the Gates Foundation. And, you know, I can't make this direct connection, but we know that Bill Gates has been one of the most active um, proponents against shunning red meat in order to save the planet as a, for climate purposes. He thinks that there, people in America should eat no beef at all. And he is also um, the largest or was the largest investor in um, both Impossible Burger and Beyond Burger. So he has a, a fairly large conflict of interest there being a, you know, a financial investor in these. You know, also on your paper here, you talk about Procter & Gamble and how they get involved with this. You know, they've got cleaning supplies, they've got every kind of a food uh, item out there in the market, and uh, I would imagine they're involved to try to tip the scale in their favor. Can you shed a little more light on Procter & Gamble? I think the story that is most stunning about Procter & Gamble is is really what they did um, dozens of years ago when they, they were the ones to really launch the American Heart Association. And back in 1948, when um, cardiology was a really tiny discipline because people were only starting to have heart attacks, remember that heart disease was rare to non-existent in the early 1900s, Procter & Gamble designated the American Heart Association as the recipient of this radio contest. And overnight, according to the Heart Association's own history, millions flew into their coffers and turned them into the national powerhouse. They're the largest nonprofit in America that they are today. And so Procter & Gamble really was the most influential founder of that association. And, you know, some years later, the American Heart Association became the most um, powerful proponent of this idea that we should replace, we should use vegetable oils instead of saturated fats. Well, what does Procter & Gamble make? Crisco oil. And actually, one of the members of the a science scientist who was a member of the Heart Association at the time you know, wrote a letter to the president of the Heart Association saying, you, know, you shouldn't be posing with bottles of Crisco oil. I consider this to be rank commercialism. You know, Procter & Gamble has remained a large donor of the Heart Association, and the Heart Association continues to recommend uh, polyunsaturated vegetable oils um, over saturated fats. Um, you know, we didn't talk about this, but in the last 10 years, the science on saturated fats has, there have been groups of scientists all over the world who have gone back and reviewed all the data on saturated fats, and really there's been a sea change on thinking on that, to say, look, we, we do not believe that saturated fats has an effect on heart disease, and in fact, let's take a deeper look at these vegetable oils, because they are, you know, they cause massive oxidation. And in the clinical trials where they replace saturated fats, people who were on the high vegetable oil diet died of much higher rates of cancer, which was never explained. So, you know, our whole paradigm about what we believe about fats, good fat, bad fat, non-fat, low fat, I mean, that has really changed in the scientific community, even though it has filtered up to official policy recommendations. Regarding that, Nina, what are you thinking we're going to see off the next round of dietary guidelines? You've been very involved over the last uh, 10 years, I believe, with the dietary guidelines, and there's this advisory committee. And for some people that may not understand, maybe you can just talk a little bit about how often they meet and 
do they use this uh, new information that's become available about saturated fats or are they stuck in the mud in their old ways? So, and a lot of people tell me too, you know, you know I don't even care what the government recommends uh, the dietary guidelines because I don't follow the food pyramid anyway, but you could speak to why the dietary guidelines are important. Well, I mean, if your child gets school lunches, if you, uh, you're, uh, you know, ner- the food in nursing homes, the food in the military, the food in almost all institutional settings and in hospitals, I mean, all of that is informed by the dietary guidelines. And our children are going to school and getting, you know, donut and orange juice for breakfast. The dietary guidelines uh, recommends three servings of refined grains every day. Their kids are given, um, you know, they're given sun chips for lunch. I mean, I think we all know the low quality of that food. And it's because the food pyramid, or really it's now known as my plate, is based on just very outdated data. Uh, and so these guidelines really do affect pretty much everyone. And they are based on outdated science. I mean, to answer your question, no, they have not. Um, they have not updated their science to reflect the new thinking on saturated fats. I mean, we personally took that science to them. We had scientists talk to their staff members, and we submitted all the, the current science. And there is just um, there's you know there's a lot of food industry interest in the USDA, and we did a study that found that 95 percent of the expert committee reviewing the science had at least one conflict of interest with the food industry. So you consider their ability to objectively and honestly evaluate the current science. Mm. Do you think there's hope for the next round? I think, what do they meet every five years? Uh, Is that right? Yes. And they're just about to start this new round of the guidelines. And, you know, what can I say? It is, you know, it's the Titanic. It's not going to turn around uh, anytime quickly or, or deftly, I mean, it's been a policy that's been in place for 40 years. So, and it has just massive investments in it. And so I think it, w- it, it will be tough, but, you know, we've made some progress and I think we will continue to. Uh, Nina, when we talk about the food pyramid, and of course we've all grown up with those images, does that come under the jurisdiction of the USDA or the FDA? So, the food pyramid, which is a, just a graphic representation of the guidelines, that is under the USDA together with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. They co-issue the guidelines, but the USDA takes a much bigger role because the office where the science is reviewed is housed inside USDA. So it really will, even if you know the, the agencies kind of trade off on who takes the lead, but the USDA... Uh, those officials will always be the ones who are in charge of the science. Excellent answer. Thank you so much. Nina, tell us a little bit about uh, the Nutrition Coalition and, and uh, what, what they're all about and what work they do. The Nutrition Coalition is a nonprofit group that I founded about five years ago. It, it um, accepts no money from inter- industry, so we're really one of the only groups in the country who you know is working towards... Um, we're working towards trying to get the science into the guidelines. Uh, we're really trying to have that policy be based on the latest and most rigorous science. And we're a watchdog group as well. We, we keep track of what's going on. We reveal conflicts of interest, even though uh, these agencies won't disclose them willingly. We go in and dig around and, and um, ensure that people know about them. And, uh, you know, we're a coalition of, of scientists, doctors, average citizens, um, you know, people who care that their 
nutrition policy, you know, because it's so influential, because it affects what we eat in our communities and what we have access to, and you know, people desperately need these recommendations to um, to be accurate and to to you know when you think about in the context of obesity and diabetes and fatty non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, I mean, it, one in six Americans at least. Um, sorry, 60% of Americans at least have one or more of these diet-related chronic diseases, and all the trend lines on those are only getting worse. So, you know, we have a lot of data to show that Americans have on the whole followed the guidelines. We eat, you know, more fruits and vegetables. We eat uh, 28% less red meat than we did 30 years ago and 35% less uh, beef. Um, We eat more vegetable oils. We eat less butter. We eat fewer eggs, we eat, um, you know, in every category that you can study, Americans have shifted their eating patterns in line with the guidelines, and yet look at our health. It's only gotten worse. Only gotten worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Nina, I'm totally in agreement with you. I have been teaching food science at Metropolitan State University for the last 20 years. But when I go to my local supermarket and when I see what some people put in their shopping cart... I'm appalled, and I think it is all about education. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. It's really a fundamental problem that we aren't giving people the right advice. And that's why it's so important to change these guidelines, because right now, what is being taught to medical students, what's being taught in K-12 through education, is are these guidelines that are based on outdated science. I mean, Greg, when you said your doctor was in school 30 years ago, if he went to school today, he would still get the wrong advice. Right, he would, I know. Until we change, you know, until the science can really penetrate this, these kinds of rigid policies, we will not see change um, in the educational system. I agree. Nina, I'm sorry, we're already out of time. We're going to have you back on this fall after this White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health to get an update in. And I would like to encourage people to, A, read your book, The Big Fat Surprise, and also follow you on social media. You're on Twitter at The Big Fat Surprise. And where else can people uh, follow you on social media and kind of follow your work, Nina? Well, uh, I'm doing a newsletter on Unsettled Science. It's called Unsettled Science um, at the Substack column. You can find that on my Twitter feed or I post it on my Facebook page, which is Nina Teichel's. And that's where I analyze studies like this. You want to take a deep dive and understand the latest headlines or you know, understand something more about what's really going on in nutrition, then I then please you know, follow me there. Yeah, I would tell her, just go to uh, the Big Fat Surprise, at the Big Fat Surprise on, on Twitter, and you can find all of uh, the, the stuff Nina, uh, Nina's working on. So hey, thank you so much for joining us today and for calling in. It was good to talk to you, Nina. Thank you so much for having me both. Thank you, Nina. Today's edition of Food Chat is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. Ranch Fresh Meats finds the best quality local meat products from family farms and ranches that we know personally. Everyone's trying to save money these days on food with food inflation, so one great way to do that is go to RanchFreshMeats.com, and at the bottom of the homepage, there's a place to sign up for our weekly newsletter. And when you do that, every Monday, you'll get an email from RanchFreshMeats.com with something that's on special. And we get specials every week from the family farms that we source from. So go to RanchFreshBeats.com and sign up. Here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring. The turn from green to that harvest honey. 
Views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.